College Basketball Central podcast. Eight weeks away from Selection Sunday, which is crazy to think about. Been a fun week of college hoops, including some daytime action today. Three-day weekend, Martin Luther King Day. Happy uh, happy Martin Luther King Day. Uh, and truly, you know, some, some great hoops today, some great hoops all weekend. Um, all week, really. It's been It's been a lot of fun. Brad, I nearly went to three consecutive double overtime games. If not for some car trouble, I would have gone to three consecutive double overtime games. I think people need to start coming to games that I go to. It's like the uh, in college football, there's a thing about the quote unquote Joe Tess effect. Uh, Joe Tess was part of the broadcast for ESPN that like when he did a game, it's always crazy. I think there might be a Kevin Sweeney effect that's starting to hit here. So what were the games? It was obviously this Illinois-Purdue game that I, I was working. I couldn't watch the game. Um, what were the other two games? Today? No, no, the other games that you went to that went to double over. Oh, yes. They were instant classics. Uh, Loyola Chicago versus Valpo, which was not a classic. <laughs> and Northwestern Maryland, which was also nowhere near a classic. Northwestern Maryland. The um, Maryland should have lost in regulation after leading by six with the ball with 19 seconds to go. If, if Pete Nance made both his free throws, Northwestern would have won in regulation. I was watching a game this weekend, and one team just absolutely melted against the pressure. Trying, trying to think who it was. Anyway. Yeah, I, I can't remember who, but... Yeah, I mean, Maryland... I mean, the, the, the deal with that Maryland game, Brad, was... Um, I mean, it was ugly the whole way. Kind of got better in the second half. And then Dante Scott, like, forearm shivers Robbie Barron away from the play, up by three with 11 seconds to go on a turnover. So Northwestern then got the ball, made two free throws because of the, the flagrant one, um, and then had – their own possession. Pete Nance got fouled and made one of two. If he made both, they would have won. Pete Nance had 28-14 four assists. He was awesome in that game. He's been awesome all year. It's more, much more surprising than Northwestern beat Michigan State this past weekend without Pete Nance, even though Michigan State felt like they were due for one. It was it was ugly stuff from from really both teams. Really, I mean, so was the Loyola Valpo game. I mean, that was that was not pretty. Loyola's jump shots were all short, but then they finally made some shots in overtime because of Braden Norris, point guard. Right, so I, I have been the lucky charm of college basketball games this week. If my name was on your credential list, oh, and my name was on the credential list for Seton Hall Marquette, which was also a handy of a ball game. So yeah, you oh, guys, you guys I need. I watched a to ton be, of that game. You guys I need mean, to be telling me. What a call at the end of regulation there, with Greg Elliott just got bailed out and then some, and of course all the Marquette fans were like, well, officiating was bad the whole game. Blah, blah, blah. I mean. Everyone flips to the game, the last last play, and uh, Seton Hall goes down. You know, for what it were, for what it's worth, I I I know why no one ranks Seton Hall this week. I still think that they end up there. The uh, DePaul loss was crazy. That was one. I, I was out to dinner. I, I I sit down. The game's on at the bar. I look up and it's like 52 to 38. I almost fell out of my chair. Uh, that that was the first first time so far that uh, that one of the Big East tournament teams, right, the top seven, did something stupid against the bottom. Um, 
and she know has a favorable schedule coming up. They need to not do stupid stuff. I think they have St. John's twice this week. Um, so so they, they can get their, their record back on track, and then the, the voters will will vote for them again. But yes, yeah, Seton Hall's next five games are at St. John's, home St. John's, home Marquette, at Georgetown, home Creighton, which is quite the stretch for potential run-ups and wins. They but, still have another, you they know, have, I think – sorry, I, I – I think the bigger story is, you know, Seton Hall really needs to get Obiagu and Samuel back. Yes. Because they're not, you know, no way that they would lose to DePaul if they had Obiagu and Samuel. I mean, Obiagu blocks 17% of shots when he's on the floor. Tyree Samuel blocks 6% of shots. And and there's no way that elite defense would give up 96 points to DePaul with Obiago and Samuel there. Trey Jackson and Alexis Yetna are, are solid players. They're not rim protectors. And I think they felt that. I think Seton will be fine, but, you know, their their biggest title hopes at one point were kind of, lo- you know, right right there have, have really faded quickly, partially with the COVID pause, partially due to these last two losses on the road. Tough trip, but that's this conference. Why don't we actually start with the Big East, Brad? Um, we don't have to spend a ton of time here, but I just want to talk about Villanova because it seems like they're back on track. Seems like they figured it out. They're up to three in Ken Palm. They're six and one in the league. You know, pe- people were writing the you know death to Villanova narrative after the Creighton game, and I was still like, whoa, whoa, pump brakes here. This is you know still the best team in the league, and they have certainly proven it in the last uh, last few weeks. You know, they have the now the sweep over Xavier. They have a road win at Seton Hall. I mean, th- those are huge wins for your your hopes of winning this league and you know 40 point win over butler but butler's not very good you know kind, kind of similar to the seed and all nonsense butler finally can say that they're full strength all right they finally have all their guys back no more crying that they're missing their sixth and seventh men and go go out and lose by 40 <laughs> villanova and you know villanova Looking solid. You know, everyone was asking, where's the depth? You get Antoine back. You're starting to use Longino, actually. And, you know, those guys aren't playing great. But seems like that they have a couple more guys who Wright can actually trust and, and turn to. And then Gillespie and Moore playing incredibly well. Dick, Dixon's playing better. Daniel's hitting shots. Uh, and, and Villanova looks to be cooking right now. Uh, swept Xavier and then just... I think it was the worst loss in Butler history. So how, how real do you think this defensive jump has been for this group, right? Like, again, running yeah, back. The pieces crazy. are there to have a good defense. I mean, you have two long physical wing forwards in Samuel and Slater. Dixon's not a, a stiff. You know, he can move, and, and he's got great, great strength and, you know, size there. And then Moore and Gillespie are, are – Again, they're strong, they're physical, and they're older. I think you can put Daniels in, in that category too. So what they lack in kind of speed, they make up for with kind of strength and veteran savvy. Right. But they're, I mean, they're top 15 Ken Palm defense at this point. They held Butler to 42, Xavier to 60. They held DePaul after DePaul really had a great first half, scoring the ball to 27 in the second half, 41 to Creighton. You know, 58 to Xavier. I mean, a lot of it's tempo, without a doubt. But if you go through, I mean, 
0.88 points per possession for Xavier in that first meeting between the two teams. One point per possession for Seton Hall. That's really the worst defensive performance Villanova's had. 0.69 for Creighton. Um, one point, you know, one again against DePaul uh, in a game that DePaul exploded early. Uh, under a point per possession again against Xavier. And then uh, to uh, last this weekend against Butler, 0.72. I mean, its defense has been really good. I'm still not fully there on Villanova to win a national title or, you know, be a final four team. I just don't, you know, I think we've seen the way that they've dealt with a Purdue as UCLA, a Baylor, their three biggest games of the year. And they haven't quite lived up to it. I mean, they lived up for 30 minutes against UCLA and Purdue and then faded in Baylor. They were just overwhelmed athletically, but you know, I, I think Villanova was kind of banished from the national conversation for a couple of weeks there. They, they certainly belong back in it because this team's playing great basketball right now. And, you know, I, I never was out on Villanova. The, the one thing that was keeping me in the, okay, this is a top 15 team, is that they blew out Tennessee, and everyone had Tennessee so high. And, and that was kind of a, a, a disconnect there. But, you know, I, I, I think Villanova is definitely like a top 15, maybe even top 10 team. Uh, I would have to do it out to, to, to see exactly where they fall. But, you know, I, I think probably Purdue and Baylor and um, – Maybe even if if Illinois can uh, put it all together, I think I, I I would take those teams, Zags, Arizona, Auburn, you know, maybe even Kentucky and LSU when 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 LSU is healthy, we'll see. Uh, but but Villanova isn't isn't too far behind. Yeah, I agree. Um, the new number one Gonzaga in tight fashion. Um, they've now scored 110 or more points in three straight games. I don't know if you watched any of the BYU game. I know it was late, Brad, but I watched the first half of BYU San Francisco. I didn't watch any BYU Gonzaga. I figured that was a foregone conclusion. Yeah, I mean the offense was holy crap level for Gonzaga, which I don't think it should be surprising. I mean that's just kind of what they've been. But I mean, man, I I don't know how you're going to stop anyone. I think that game is kind of a canary in the coal mine for the rest of the WCC season, right? Every, you know, it feels like, again, we, we hyped up, oh, you know, the WCC is better. You know, this league's improving. We've got three other potential at-large teams. And, and BYU was, was never in this ballgame. Like, full stop. That's scary. It really is. So 26 point, the margin in that one. They won 117 to 83 against Pepperdine, 115 to 83 against Santa Clara, and again they're playing really fast, but you know they are just unstoppable right now. And I, I think undeserving number one. I think Auburn as well. Uh, you know the Auburn Alabama game was while I was at the Loyola, Loyola game, so I didn't watch it with a fine tooth comb. But you know it's just it's just hard not to be impressed with Auburn right now. And I think those two teams being in the conversation for the AP number one feels feels right right now. And, you know, kind of as an aside, the BYU-San Francisco game. I mean, I yeah. think any high major team that draws them in the first round is going to be licking their lips. There's just not a ton of athleticism. BYU center is like 6'6". Yeah. USF is, 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 is really big, and they have two dynamic scoring guards, but not a ton of explosiveness. I mean, I th- I th- Brad, Brad, I think – you have to do. You have to think about it from the perspective of like it depends on who you are, right? Like some people would say you'd, you'd much rather face the team that's not loaded with you know raw talent, quote unquote. But you know 
other people would say, like, I don't want any business dealing with Mark Pope in a game planning battle, right? Or I don't want to deal it, with Todd Golden. If Providence is a six seed and gets 11 seed BYU, I am dancing around the room. So, so the other potential of I'll just go on heat checks bracketology right now. So BYU is an eight seed um, right now. The the four 11 seeds are TCU, St. Mary's, Creighton, and Murray State on heat check. You, you're saying you'd much rather play St. Mary's than TCU. I haven't seen TCU yet, so I shouldn't really okay. comment on TCU. Um, well, um, well, and I've, I've only seen like, St. Mary's once. So so BYU and Indiana is an 8-9 game. You're, you're saying you'd much rather play Indiana than BYU, or much rather play BYU than Indiana. Absolutely. Fair enough. I would, I would much rather play BYU than Creighton. I mean, I mean, obviously you can't play Creighton in the first round, but. Well, I mean, BYU lost to Creighton, so that's fair. And Creighton has a big seven-footer who moves really well. They have a solid pick-and-roll point guard. They have shooters. Yep. No, I mean, look. It, it, I, I think the challenge thing for me is right. Like, like BYU is seven and four against Quadrant One and Two. You know, like there, there there's evidence that suggests, man, this BYU is too tough, right? But I also yeah, get why you'd be like, yeah, you know, like I'd rather see this team, right? I'd rather see a team that's starting backcourt is two guys who didn't cut at a time age level. And Parcell yeah. and Tijon Lucas. I get that. Parcell hit some really tough shots against USF. I, I mean, but they, they, they have no size, right? Treyor is like 6'6". Six, six. And like he plays hard. He's pretty athletic, but... His neck is very thick. going to be tough against, you know, t- teams with a lot of size, right? Because right? Who, who, who are BYU's losses, right? Creighton has, has a ton of size. Yep. Utah Valley is Zags obviously have a ton of size. What was that? Utah Valley has Fardal's Amok, who had 24 and 22 against them. And then they have a fourth loss as well? Uh, Vanderbilt. Who doesn't have a ton of size right now? But no. With, with Robbins hurt. But. Well, that's just Scotty Pippen Jr. went crazy in the second half, though. That's all it was. I mean, the one there's an X factor at BYU is is a Tiki Ali Atiki. He's a freshman, six foot nine, like carved out of stone. He has been playing a little bit more lately. You know, there's there's thought that maybe he could help them in like late season stuff, but no, I mean, it's fair. Like they're they're thin up front, without a doubt. And you know, if your choice is would you rather play them or Trace Jackson Davis, I understand why you'd be like, Yeah, like give me BYU every day. I think I would rather play BYU than both the Wake Forest Miami ACC duo. Man. Wow. Okay. Um, so Gonzaga and Auburn, the number one debate. Let's like, <laughs> kind of touch on it, right? Because it was all over Twitter today. Um, Which okay, Je- Jesse Newell can you know if if he thinks that Auburn's not you know is, is only going to be the ninth best team in the country, then then he should rank Auburn ninth. The problem is, is that, like, Jesse's – I think the, the reason I, I get frustrated with it, and I think Jesse does a really good job as a beat writer, if you want an analytic – right, like, 
the point of the AP poll, like, like, let me, let me frame this properly. The AP poll by every other voter is 90% a results-based metric, right? So stop taking all these predictive metrics, averaging them and saying, you know, Auburn's the ninth best team because Ken Palm and T-Rank says so, right? Like to me, that's frustrating because if you want an average of all the Ken Palms and, you know, if you, if you want a Ken Palm average, you can get a Ken Palm average. If you want T-Rank, everyone has T-Rank. The whole point is the AP is supposed to be you know, journalists who watch games making an opinion. And Jesse's basically saying, like, I'm not allowed to have an opinion with the essential, like, moving a team one spot here, one spot there. To me, that's a little frustrating. But also, like, at the end of the day, like, it, does, it doesn't matter. Like, it's it's just, ta- like, again, I get why Auburn fans would want it, and especially knowing that Gonzaga's probably not going to lose. But, like, it just feels like the most overrated thing to worry about. I get the frustration. I probably agree with a lot of it because of what, like, what's the point of the AP poll, but also like, again, who cares? I think it's pretty obvious that like Auburn is really, really good. Right. And I don't know if you watched the Alabama game, but really, really good. See, I, I disagree in the fact that it doesn't matter. Right. Cause I mean, it's huge for recruiting for right. marketing for, you know, for, when I want the Providence box score now, I don't have to filter to Big East. I, it's just right there for me. Uh, you, you know, it, it, there's there's a certain prestige, a certain buzz around being ranked. Um, so so it does matter, but at the same time, you you should you should vote the way you you think, right? Like if you don't think Gonzaga is number one, don't put him number one. Right. I, I, I would just rather someone be an I would rather someone be an independent thinker instead of averaging metrics. So like if you wanted the average metric if you wanted the AP twenty five to be top twenty five to be an averaging of metrics, it could be that, but it's not. Like it's for journalists to have an opinion. And his his right. opinion then, basically I don't have an opinion. And and for the past it was I think I did it maybe twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen, I was tracking everyone's preseason top 25 of of the people who follow it nationally and then coming up with a composite and then seeing how far everyone was off at the end of the year. 2018, there was some legitimate differences in there. In 2019, everyone's was so similar. It was basically, yeah, just everyone's top 25 was basically the same with a couple teams shifted a couple spots that it was, it was a pointless exercise. Like there was very little difference between people's. So the uh, group think is so strong that really just just you know it's it, the uh, stuff that, that that bothers me right is when you have Jeff Goodman saying Providence is the luckiest team in the country and he ranks them 13th. Well, if, if you think that they're lucky and they sh- they're not as good as their record, why are you ranking them so high? This doesn't make any sense. If you think they're lucky, that's fine. Put them 24. If you think it's legit, put them 13. You can't have it both ways. Right. And I think a lot of people, they're saying stuff like, oh, I don't think um, I don't think Kentucky deserves it right now. I'm going to put them at 24 when we know that they're actually like a top 15 team. Like, if, if you know that, just put them at 15. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm all for people, like, using their eyes. But I also think, like, 
to me, it's I, I think the AP poll needs to be a, a strictly results based metric, like almost exclusive. Right? Because right now it's not it's not like a results based. It's a no matter what, if you lose, you go down a couple spots. If you are idle or if you win, no matter who it's against, you go up a, you, you you go up a couple spots. Right. It's it's just like a little moving people up and down by like almost a set amount based on a win or loss in independent on who it was against. Right. And I think I mean my thing is like the that debate like was the funniest part of that was like that debate like was overshadowed by like it should have been overshadowed by some like actually dumb things. Like Texas Tech moved up one spot in the last week because they lost to Kansas State. They played like four games. They you know in the last week they've beaten Kansas, Baylor, and uh Oklahoma State. But because they lost to Kansas State, all of a sudden they don't move. Like what is the point of this? Right? Again, there are better ways of doing this. I just I don't know. I get frustrated by like all the discourse and whatnot. Speaking of discourse. Oh baby. I've I've been seeking out the discourse. I I've I have a new hobby of whenever a team with a coach's hot seats on the ropes. I, I, I just search the coach's name on, on Twitter and people are just foaming at the mouth. I for, first I did it with uh, 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 Chris Mack. Um, and everyone is just irate. They want to fire. Somebody said that Chris Mack never had a player who improved at Xavier. What? Not a single one improved. What? It's it's a it's a complete just anger fest. There 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 are some funny ones. I uh, forwarded Kevin a picture of someone did a, a must bus with with must and like a broken down bus, which which made me laugh hysterically. Uh, there was one with Bruce Weber, where I guess at 1 a.m. before the Texas Tech game. He texted the whole team and said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Uh, so everyone was making fun of him for, for quoting Kelly Clarkson. There's there's a bunch of crazy stuff on there. Um, can, can we start with, with Louisville and what is rapidly trending towards the end of the Chris Mack era? You just knew. The minute I saw, saw that they were playing at Pitt, I was like, they are 100% losing this game. Right. I mean, I, again, I think the problem for, for – Louisville is less that they're losing these games, which is bad, but like they haven't been all that competitive. You know, they got, they got housed at home by NC state. They got handled on the road at Pitt. Like I think Chris Mack is a good coach. Like again, you can do it at Xavier. Like it's not that hard. Like it's, it's, it's a place everyone wins, but like they got a one seed. They won the Big East. They beat Jay Wright. I mean, they Chris Mack had it rolling and recruited pros and developed talent and you know was was in the top thirty every year and went to you know deep runs in the NCAA tournament. He went to four four second weekends. I mean, like it's baffling that has gone this wrong this fast. And again, we we've talked about Louisville on the on the show in the past about, you know, that, that, that fateful recruiting class with David Johnson and Samuel Williamson and all these guys that were going to be, you know, the next group. 
and really with the exception of of um Johnson, they just haven't lived up to the hype. And even Johnson was like gone before he could be a hugely impactful player. And the recruiting has been great. The player development has been great. The guards are not very good. Um, they're a hundredth in Ken Palm right now, <laughs> which I, I, I know is probably not surprising, but is the worst since 2001, the last year of the Denny Crum era before Patino took over the place and uh, got it going real quick. So, you know, the end is near for, for Chris Mack. What we were discussing before the show, Brad, which I think is interesting, and we can mention the Louisville opening and, like, what it could bring for the cycle. But, like, Chris Mack, if he wants a job, should be in the mix for, like, a lot of good jobs. Like, pretty much any high major that opens should at least be thinking about Chris Mack based on the Xavier resume. Right, because, you know, what I was saying is, right, okay, we get Louisville wants to move on from Mac. They're not living up to expectations. They're not even any good this year. He's acting like a goofball, uh, saying he, he he doesn't know what's going on and, and, and all this stuff. Okay. But now who do you want to replace him? Right? Like some of the names that were thrown out for the Maryland job, and now Louisville should have their pick before Maryland, right? Andy Enfield, Kevin Willard, Ed Cooley. Okay, we know objectively that Chris Mack is a better coach than Kevin Willard and Ed Cooley. They were in the same conference, and Chris Mack won a lot more and recruited a lot better in terms of making pros and everything. Um, both regular season and postseason, he, he won more, right? A- any job that opens, I think including Maryland, should take would, – would be a home run higher – Getting Chris Mack. If, if you know, Maryland can't get a Bruce Pearl, a Nate Oates, a Muscleman, you know, the names that have been thrown out as, like, their their back channel, I will say this. Are we sure I, Muss, is, Muss and Oates are better than Chris Mack? They've done it more recently. So yeah. They've done it more recently. Um, look, I think, uh, you know, I will say I've heard that Maryland is back channeled Oates. I don't expect it to go anywhere, but that is like a thing that has happened. Um, I just like, I don't think you could do it at Maryland, right? Like Maryland is not a place they can hire a fire coach right, right off the bat. But yeah, like Chris Mack, you know, you go through every single job that could open in the, you know, in the high major world, you're like, Oh, Northwestern, Nebraska, like, like Washington. If, if, you got, if you got Chris Mack, at Northwestern Nebraska, grand slam home run. Absolutely. And, you know, our uh, Syracuse correspondent, Patrick Wong, was saying uh, on the message boards, people were saying for, for, for Cuse, that, like, if if Bay, you know, hopefully Bayheim leaves, right? And then I was like, well, who do they want? And he was like, Mike Boynton. He's from Brooklyn. And I was like, I mean, that's a solid hire. But, like, you might as well as... Do you you actually believe Mike Boyd's a better coach than Chris Mack? No. Right. So he had had some success with Cade Cunningham. Recruits well. I mean, probably better than taking a flyer on a 
mid-major guy, you'd think, you know. But I, I, if if you sit down and you do the musical chairs, there are not enough coaches for all these high-major jobs. So either there are going to be some just wacky pulls, or there's going to be a lot of NBA assistants being hired. I mean, in fairness, look, if you track it back to last year, there would probably not have been enough coaches for all these, but you had an internal hire at Texas Tech. You had an internal hire at Loyola Chicago. You had an NBA hire at Indiana. You had an eight assistant coach hire at Minnesota. Uh, who am I blank? Who am I missing? Really, those four took like four dominoes off the table that would have otherwise been harder to fill. Um, and I think you can see something similar. You know, like for instance, Ronald Norred was in the mix. Who's was in the final two at Minnesota? He's in the final three at Cincinnati. You know, if do we know if NBA assistants work? Like, like, do we have any sort of data on that? We do not. Um, and it totally feels like they don't work. Right. But Ron, Ronald Norred, obviously Butler legend, would certainly be in the mix of Butler if, if Laval were popped. I don't think Laval's getting popped this year. But Northwestern yeah, that, would be an interesting name for Ronald Norred. Um, you know, I, I think he could be in the mix of almost any high major, especially in the Midwest. Uh, Chris Quinn, I've heard, could be a name of potentially Notre Dame. Obviously, he played there. So, you know, there there are some guys like the NBA assistants who could who could fill some spots. Kenny Payne was obviously in the mix of DePaul last year. Maybe there's a, a, a room for Kenny Payne to jump in at you know a big job, right? Like a you know DePaul couldn't pay the buyout, so I'm I'm thinking here, I'm like Louisville could pay a buyout, right? He's been in Kentucky, right? Like, I mean, it would be I wouldn't love it, but you, know, you kind of go through it. It's like, all right. So I don't know. I don't want to do too much on the carousel, but yeah. I think the larger point, Brad, that, you know, like Chris Mack, Chris Mack's presence in the carousel is like significant because if he wants a job, he could be a very good hire. And Archie Miller will also be potentially in there. Sean Miller could also fill one, right? Like, And all those would help you know, fill in spots, but you're, you're right. I mean, there, there's some holes here, especially, you know, bigger jobs. Like where do, where do you go? So that's all I have on the carousel front. We should get in some I, games. I, I have one that's carousel adjacent. Okay. Missouri's average margin of defeat on the road. Yes. 32 points. They're averaging to lose by 32 points a game on the road. Missouri at Ole Miss tomorrow. Oh, Put your bets in. Ken, Ken Palm only is the nine-point spread. Hammer. Hammer the reps. Hammer the 32. Oh, God. That's insane. They lost to Arkansas most recently by, like, 40-something. Yeah, they lost by 43 to Arkansas. <laughs> they, you know, they, they led 12 nothing early on A&M and then found a way. Texas A&M, the weirdest 15-2 team in the country. Yeah, Still let's come back to Earth very good. soon. Huh? Yeah. Right. That is coming back to earth very soon. R- rubber meets the road here in the next two weeks with Kentucky, Arkansas, LSU, South Carolina, and Tennessee as their next five games. So Missouri 250th in Torvik, 289th in offense, and they're in their four road games, which obviously does does not include a 14 point home loss at Missouri against Missouri Kansas City. But they lost at Liberty by 21. They lost at Kansas by 42. They lost at Kentucky by 
27 and at Arkansas by 44. And then neutral court defeats to Illinois by 25. And Florida State by 23. Florida State by 23. Neutral court win over SMU. There, there I that for a bad loss for SMU's resume. <laughs> I, no, I was, I was actually bracketologying today, and I was like, who's the Q, who, who's the Q4 loss for, uh, for, 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 for them? And I was, I'm pretty sure it's Mizzou. They've also lost to Loyola Marymount, who's not good. Um, Loyola Marymount is, um, 161 in the net. Mizzou is 225. So, yeah, the Q4 loss is the Missouri Tigers, which is hilarious. That's a weird job. Like, it's hard. I still think it's hard to see it open, but also, like, when you suck this bad, Me like, too. what are you going to do? You almost have to. Yeah, like, this is I, the I guess only they probably thing you should, but they made the tournament last year. So. Right. This is the only thing you, could, you couldn't do. But the only way your job security is going to be questioned is if you were so dreadfully bad that, like, so I don't know. Mizzou is a, a train wreck. Again, well, you know, the, the rest of the SEC, I mean, I will say, Brad, one last carousel thought. The one job that could really screw up the carousel would be if Florida tanks and fires Mike White. Yeah, because Florida gets to choose ahead of Maryland, right? You, you yeah, think. probably. Well, I will say this. Mono would be a, I don't think there's a job for him, but Mike White should be, you know, again, I don't think, I don't think the situation is like Shaka, but should be a parachute candidate, you know? Where's he from? His whole family is like athletic department administrators. So I, I don't know if he has like a home base, home base, but. Would you like if he parachuted to Northwestern? Yeah, I think I would. Maybe, I mean, Clemson was another team that made the tournament last year, but people are saying new AD, they just lost to Boston College. Uh, Yeah. I mean, maybe that could be a parachute, too. Who knows? Brad Brownell parachuting would be fitting. But, yes, lots lots to make out in the next eight weeks or so with carousel-wise. We will keep you posted on that. Um, But we do have some basketball we should discuss, Brad. Let's let's try to get into it. Um, Let's start with... These are the games we haven't hit on. Let's talk about this pretty Illinois game that uh, happened today. I know you didn't watch, but, you know, very important for both teams. I mean, Purdue really needed it to avoid falling three games behind Illinois in the Big Ten standings and uh, found a way. Trayvon Williams did not play his best ball game. He couldn't, you know, hit a shot around the rim. Uh, Jaden Ivey, again, the numbers will say he had 19 points and eight rebounds, but he was not very good, especially in, you know, in the half court and in the end of the game situations, which was really good at the free throw line. That was important. But Stefanovic made huge shots. Edie was unstoppable as always. And, you know, Illinois just couldn't quite get over the hump. Kofi Coburn in foul trouble. He struggled with the length of Edie in particular all day long. Um, Plummer hit huge shots. Frazier hit huge shots. Obviously, Curbelo in his return was awesome. Uh, but it wasn't quite enough for the Illini and kind of brings everyone back to the pack in the big 10. I think Illinois is a really good team, right? They're going to be really hard to guard with the spacing, with the shooting, with Curbelo's addition where he was kind of, you know, at times on the ball, at times kind of playing off the ball and act, acting as a slasher. 
it's a really small backcourt when they occasionally play Plummer, Curbelo, and Frazier together. All six foot two or under, all 180 pounds or, or under. But man, I mean, you combine the skill level of those guys with the shooting of Grandison and Williams with the post power from Coburn. I, I really like this Illinois team still. Yeah, I, I never sold my Illinois stock. Now, I, I didn't watch tonight, and I didn't watch the game that was probably most concerning when they lost to Cincinnati. So uh, maybe that's why I still had my stock. But, I mean, when, when you have one of the best players in college basketball in Kofi, you have all this shooting, veteran talent, good guard play. It's hard, hard to see Illinois not being a factor at the top of the Big Ten, which you know, the, the Big Ten is definitely down from last year. It's still very good. They're going to put in, whatever, seven or ha- – However many teams in the, in the NCAA tournament, um, the the area that Illinois can exploit is, you know, Michigan's not as good as expected. So they're really only competing with Purdue at the top, right? Michigan State and Ohio State don't quite have the same level of talent. Where you, you, what about you know, Wisconsin, Brett? Wisconsin doesn't have the talent. They, they have one oh, very, agree, very talented so player. Right. But... but but Wisconsin, if they win at Northwestern tomorrow, will be 6-1 and one in the league with a road win at Purdue, with a home win over Ohio State, with a road win at Maryland, with a win over Indiana. Like, they'll have, they'll have a good record without having had the, like, light start to the league that Illinois had. You know, they still have um, – they still have Northwestern on the schedule. There's a win, right? They still have Minnesota twice on the schedule. Those should be wins. You know, they have uh, Penn State at home. That should be a win. They have Nebraska twice. Those should be wins, right? Like, there's a path where you're like, all right, Wisconsin's already at 12. You know, already at, you know, 10, 11, 12 wins. They just got to win a couple 50-50s, and they're at 15. No, I can see that, but... In, in, in terms of talent level, I think Wisconsin's oh, certainly closer I'm not, to the, I'm, I'm not debating you on talent, right? I, right? I absolutely think Illinois and Purdue are the class of the league talent-wise. And, and when you have the talent level of Michigan State in Ohio State, which I think Wisconsin's in that same tier, yes. uh, you can do things like you know, almost lose to Nichols State, almost lose to Illinois State. If you're, if you're the Buckeyes, almost lose to Akron. If you're Michigan State, just lose to Northwestern. Without Pete Nance. Without, without Pete Nance. So, as, you know, as a, you know, the Wisconsin, Michigan State, Ohio State, you know, probably somewhere between 15 and 20 or like 12 and 20, uh, this year you're susceptible to to an upset. You're not that much better than the than the bubble, right? Like like maybe Iowa is like maybe one step ahead of the bubble, but. You know, that's that's an interesting team who I think could knock off any of those uh, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Ohio State group. No, I mean, that, that's a good way of putting it. I think Indiana and Iowa are probably like the closest to the bubble. I thought it was interesting. You know, again, I was doing some bractology work today. Rutgers, you know, four and two in the league, 10 and six, have the win over Purdue that no one else has. Obviously, the Q1, you know, they, they have the Q4 loss, which you'd expect to hurt them. They were 116 in the net. That's a problem. 
Like, I, I, I went in and be like, yeah, Rutgers probably a bubble team. Like, nope, not yet. Well, well, St. John's got in the last Molyneux at 73. So right. you figure if uh, Rutgers can get enough wins in the Big Ten to even be in consideration, that inherently should come with enough quality to bump them in, into the 70s, right? Well, so, so here's the interesting thing with Rutgers, right? Here's their next five. Home, Iowa, at Minnesota, home, Maryland, at Nebraska, at Northwestern. That could be 5-0 and easily. Right. That's about as navigable a stretch as you can find in the Big Ten. You go 4-1, and 5-0. and like, let's, let's just say 4-1 and because 5-0 and is, is, a, is, is a tough bridge. 4-1 and gets you to 8-3 and in the Big Ten. And again, the back end is after that Northwestern game is home Michigan State, home Ohio State at Wisconsin, home Illinois at Purdue at Michigan, home Wisconsin at Indiana, home Penn State. So there's not a lot of wins there. But like if you can get to eight or nine at the turn, I mean, man, like you're that, that could be an interesting resume team to watch. But yeah, I mean, without a doubt, I mean, the Big Ten, the Big Ten at the top is really, really, I think, strong. The star power is really great. The question is, where, where are those middle bits going to come from? Northwestern back from the dead after their road at Michigan State, but not going to happen. Right. I mean, North, well, so, so let's frame it this way Northwestern's next four games Wisconsin, Purdue, Michigan, Illinois. They go two and two, at least. Right. If you, if you go on four, right? Well, because. Because the reason I basically started to write the obit on the Collins era after the Maryland loss was you were one in four going into Michigan State, Wisconsin, Purdue, Michigan, Illinois. And you're like, all right, at best you're two and eight. And how are you gonna how are you gonna keep your job when you're two and eight in the Big Ten heading into February when you still have a you know Purdue and Illinois and you know you still have some tough games left and some meat on the bone. And it was like I just don't see it. So, so now you went to Michigan State. Now, you, even if you went one and three, if you're three and seven at the at the turn, you might be able to salvage it, especially if you can get to like eight and 12 and their back half of the schedule is a little bit more manageable. You know, if you can get to eight and 12, are you firing Chris Collins? I don't know. So, I mean, Michigan State win gives you life. But like really for an at-large bid, Brad, I, I think you're right. I mean, you, you probably need two and two. You probably need to not be more than two under 500 after after 10 Big Ten games. There is literally a path, but it just feels like it's not going to happen. Right. Same I mean, like the bottom line is if you lost at home to Penn State and Maryland, how do you expect to win enough games to be an NCAA tournament team? Right. That, that's know, the bottom line. Same same thing for, for TCU, which is winning the games. But it's like you're the ninth best team in this league. How are you going to get even to 7-11? Oh, and I think with their non-con schedule being as weak as it was, I don't have the number in front of me, but I I know it was Cupcake City. 7-11 um, is not going to give you benefit of the doubt. Their non-con was 321 per 10. With a loss to Santa Clara. Yes. So, so I mean, basically, you know, right, if you're in the Big 12, the idea is essentially hold serve at home and try to get some breaks on the road. So. Yeah. So far, they're one and one at home. You know, they lost to Baylor at home. They beat Oklahoma at home, and they won at Kansas State, which is probably the easiest break of serve, quote unquote, on the road as you can. Right? If you're TCU, you're looking at it. You're like, all right, where can we steal games? Right? Can we steal 
road Oklahoma State? Can we steal road Oklahoma? Can we pick off Texas at home? Can we pick off, you know, like those are the types of games you're going to need. Can you pick off a Kansas, right? Because you can't go, you can't, you got to go like seven and three at war, or I guess it's nine games. So you got to go like six and three at worst at home to get to where you need to go. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're non They're be, I mean, their neutral court went over Texas A&M is aging the fine line, but and it won't be next week when they get their doors oh, blown off. But, but right now, that's I mean, that's a that's like a you know 96 board out. That's hmm. thing is that thing's aging beautifully. Meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, their their road win at Georgetown is aging like milk. So, <laughs> so no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, want to mention Kentucky? Wanted to mention them because they had the huge win over Tennessee. They put up 107 points. Just kind of feels like things are starting to click again with them. My my frustration point with Kentucky, I think North Carolina and Kentucky are are different levels talent wise, but similar in terms of this thing. Every time it feels like we start to know something about you, you do something to disappoint us, right? For 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 me that was right. You know they they they're running through the bye games. They're looking pretty good. Then they lose to Notre Dame. Okay, now that now they blow out North Carolina. They blow out West Kentucky. They blow out Missouri. They blow out High Point. Great. Then they can't score against LSU and they lose again. Road game. I think we didn't think LSU was like as good as as they are at that point. Now okay, you beat Georgia. You beat Vanderbilt. You blow out Tennessee. You put up this outstanding offensive performance. What comes now with three of your next four on the road? At AM, at Auburn, at Kansas, with home Mississippi State mixed in. We will learn a lot about this Kentucky team in this stretch. Where do you stand after that Tennessee round? I mean, they look great. I mean, Grady was hitting shots. I think ha- having Wheeler back and having that dual ball hander him in Washington was a really promising. I re- really liked Washington was getting in the lane. He was hitting shots. Um, and then Jacob Toppin. Still playing well. He's, um, he's he's been in the mix. You know, giving them a lot of size and athleticism off the bench. He has really good size for a four. Uh, Brooke, Brooks has been good this year, and obviously Shebway uh, <laughs> is like one of the great rebounders of all time. Um, o- almost out of nowhere. I mean, we we knew he was going to be good, but if you told me he was going to put up historic rebounding numbers, and you know, he he has some touch around the basket too. He had a nice post move there in the first half. Um, so between you have those six and then Mintz is fine as a seventh man. I mean, that's a veteran group. The pieces fit well. You got shooting, you have creation, you have NBA talent. Uh, I, I think Kentucky's in a really nice spot. I think the one thing with Oscar, right? Everyone knew coming out of high school that he had the ability to be a guy who led the country in rebounding, right? Like he was known for having this combination of motor and you know physicality and you know tools that was like man this kid's gonna be a special rebounder if he wants to be and i think you saw that some at west virginia i mean he was the number one offensive rebounder in the country per ken palm that year uh his freshman year and then obviously sophomore year he kind of regressed and this year you've seen the you've seen the improvement in the offensive game you've certainly seen how dominant i mean there is no player who contributes more to someone's a team statistics than Oscar does with their rebounding. I mean, Kentucky, just for for just for reference, last year rebounded 32 percent 
of their own misses and gave up 30% offensive rebounding rate. So they were basically a, a, an even rebounding team. This year, they're top, they're number one in the country in offensive rebounding rate. They, they rebound 40% of their misses, which is absurd. And then they also give up uh, the eighth U.S. offensive rebounds on a rate as anyone in the country. I mean, it's absurd. You combine that with the fact that they don't foul on defense, the fact that they've got excellent shooting, the fact that Shibway is great around the rim. Right now, he's Ken Palm's national play of the year. Now, do I buy that? No, but like that's how good Oscar Shibway has been. Um, like he has been dominant, and you combine that with Ty Ty, and you combine that with Severe Wheeler and Keon Brooks and Davion Mintz, and all of a sudden Jacob Toppin jumping over people. And like, watch out, man. It's a natural title talent team. I actually remember watching an AAU game where Shibway dominated Kofi Coburn. It was Kofi Coburn and Jalen LeCue. That was that was one team, and the the other team was loaded. I think it was it actually called team team loaded. It, it might have been. Um, and Shebway just went off in that game. I remember um, uh, I, I remember us souring on Kofi Coburn because of a bad game at. He had no touch. Yeah, bad he had game no at touch. Football. No touch. Couldn't catch the ball. Like, why is this kid a top sixty recruit? These things. We were, uh, the, I think we were wrong on that one, Brad. Yeah, the uh, the evaluation stuck with Jalen Jalen LeCue, but not with not with Kofi. I mean, look, the, the 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 thing about Kofi was we probably just underestimated how valuable it is to be a fucking monster. Excuse my French. Yeah, and 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 bigs have a steeper learning curve, yes. especially at that age. You're not really looking for their ability as much as just like how they move and kind of the reads they're making, their hands and stuff like that. Yes. So I mean, look at even like the U19, right? Where like at at Adam Bana had his moments, but he wasn't that great. Kalkbrenner wasn't that great. Yeah. You know. Where else do we need to get to on the podcast? Should we talk about Texas Tech? We mentioned him a little bit last week after the Kansas win because of Nadolny's big performance and kind of like, is this all sustainable? And uh, it mostly turned out to be. I know they had like the road loss to Kansas State where they couldn't score. And, you know, I saw Texas Tech fans saying it was like a schedule loss because it was their fourth game in eight days and they had already played Kansas, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. You know, whatever. I, I think the thing that is very obvious with this group is that they have enough talent to be really good and the transfers that Mark Adams took early on, right? Like I think it's, it was obvious to me and you that Bryson Williams would be a good player. It was, it was obvious that, you know, O'Banner could play at this level. Honestly, O'Banner a disappointment, if anything. Um, but the guys he took early that were kind of fringier, Davion Warren, particularly Adonis Arms have really, really played great basketball for them. That's been huge. Yeah, because Warren was late. Because remember, he was he was linked to Memphis. He he right. He wasn't that late though. He was still like late April, early May. I I like Warren's game. He, he has great size. He handles the ball. He, he he can create shots. Obviously, Arms had a fantastic game against Baylor. It is amazing um, you watch some of these guys like a Davion Warren, and you're like, man, how did he not just like? How were his teams not better? Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> how 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 did Hampton? go 
How was how was Hampton the 327th ranked Ken Palm team that year? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. And they yeah, had uh, Dejour Dickens too in the back, right? Blocking shots. They did. Well, Davion Warren two years ago was the was averaging 10 points a game on a Hampton team that had Jermaine Marrow and Ben Stanley. <laughs> and they went to the conference championship game and lost to Winthrop by eight. Uh, Davion Warren had 11 points. So there you go. But and, I mean, look, you know. Well, one of the guys who I thought would be a really big part of this team was Sardar Calhoun. And yep. he, he bailed. He's out of here. I was surprised that that didn't work. But, again, I think speaks to how good Arms and Warren have been. And they, they, out, they, they won the job. Shannon Someone and McCullough didn't even play in some of these big games. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Arms was awesome against Baylor. 14 points, nine rebounds, five assists. He was playing point guard, which is crazy. And his story is awesome. I know Fred Show will talk about it, but – he was a five foot, like 11 senior in high school, didn't have any offers, kind of showed up at a JUCO and played well, got a D2 offer to play at Northwest Nazarene on a partial, uh, balled out, transfers to Winthrop, sits one, plays one, you know, it's the COVID year. He's coming off the bench on a 10 deep team and now he's, you know, at Texas Tech. It's just an awesome story, but you know, I give Mark Adams a lot of credit for, for you know, again, part of it's, you know, they were able to make some moves, right, with with NIL and with, you know, some names and because they had connections with. Obviously, they had a connection with O'Banner. Talvin Hester recruited him to Oral Roberts. They had a connection with Williams. They had obviously already recruited Shannon. But it's obvious Texas Tech's going to be able to recruit and get to players and also have, have an eye for talent. And you combine that with Mark Adams' defensive aptitude, it's like this thing's not going away. I don't know if the ceiling's as high as the beard years, but – Things not going away. I mean, all these guys run the court against Providence. Just, just saying. Asterisk. Um, they had never seen zone before. Asterisk. That, that, that was certainly what it looked like out there. That 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 should be Marist's excuse for losing a for losing their 17 point lead with 12 minutes to go against Siena. Siena went to a 1-3-1. Marist looked completely baffled. Siena goes on a a huge run and wins the game after uh, right. having a 1.3% win probability in the second half. I love Maris knocked the crap beats, out of Monmouth. Yeah, beat Monmouth by 36 and moved up 51 spots in Kenton. And then speaking of 1-3-1 zones, did you see the first possession against Tennessee? Kentucky did the 1-3-1 to uh, tip their cap to, to Joby Hall. Their, their, I did not. I was watching Northwestern. So, like, they're... That that was that was his signature defense back at back when he was prowling the uh, sidelines for for Kentucky and everyone was talking about this is incredible this is such a great tribute you know blah 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 and the first possession Kentucky gives up a layup out of the one three one they they had the room to give it up let's just put it that way just wanted to to, to move into the Big East or you know really quick. Thing I said last podcast, the fate of the Big East is going, you know, in terms of seeding, teams making the tournament is going to be determined based on how well teams play against St. John's. And UConn needed overtime, but they they beat St. John's. And then this week we have Creighton has St. John's, and Seton Hall has them twice. Um, so that 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 I think is going to be the ultimate barometer for the Big East, both for 
St. John's beating the crap out of Butler, DePaul, and Georgetown. And for those seven teams that have built a tournament resume to, to, to knock off St. John's, at least at home. It's going to be hard, man. Yeah, they're pretty good. D- Dylan Adewuzu is balling out. Champagny's maybe the best player in the conference. I think probably the best player in the conference. They're not getting a ton of mileage or really any mileage out of Coburn. Uh, very little out of Steph Smith, w- which is surprising that neither one of those guys. I mean, after all that, right? I mean, S- Steph Smith was obviously a starter early in the year. I don't know what the deal was. Was he COVID? They're, he's obviously not been right lately. But, like, you know, after all the talk of, you know, last year's role players aren't good enough for Julian and Posh, like, we need better guys, like, has it really turned out that – and maybe the chemistry's better, I don't know. But has it really turned out that Steph Smith, Soriano, Montez Mathis, and Tariq Coburn has been better than Greg Williams, Vince Cole, Rasheem Dunn, Isaiah Moore, and Marcellus Arlington? Well, so Rasheem Dunn left Robert Morris. Yes, I did see that. But last week, so I guess that's a point in St. John's favor. In terms but of chemistry, wanna... yeah, we know that. We also know that Vince Cole and uh, Isaiah Moore were problems. Like that's not that's that's an open secret. So. Oh, Greg Williams, 7.5 points a game for Louisiana Lafayette. That is fewer points per game than he averaged last year at St. John's. It's just crazy. That's that's another point for St. John's. Now we're going to Marcellus Erlington. 14 and 7 in 25 minutes. I think this is point role players here. 37% from three. Right. Um, but I, I guess the question is, like, doesn't – don't the numbers speak for themselves? I mean, they're 20 spots worse in Ken Palm than they were a season ago. It's not like Posh has gotten worse. It's not like Champagne's gotten worse. It's not like Odai Wusu's gotten worse. Right? Like, the team was better last year. Yeah. I mean, my eyes tell me it was, it's, about, it's basically the same, but Ken Palm tells me 20 spots. And they'll have plenty of opportunities in the Big East. I think they're 2-2 two and two right now, so, so they have... 16 more games to, to move up that Kampong number. Aaron Wheeler has started to come alive. Oh, baby. Playing a little small ball five, playing a little four. He's, he's hitting threes. Um, Three straight games and double figures. That would be, I believe, the first time in his career. Yes, first time in Aaron Wheeler's career he said three straight with double figures. It might, might be the first time he said two straight with double figures. That is correct. It is. So good for Mr. Wheeler. Happy for you, buddy. So Vince Cole is averaging 15 points a game for Coastal Carolina. Yep, and Isaiah Moore is averaging 12 and 7 in a block for Southern Miss. Who, yeah, but Southern Miss is a tire fire. Yeah, Conference USA has a few teams down there in the 300s, which was surprising. Did you? Here's, here's an interesting one, by the way. Southern Miss, one of the three finalists for their head coaching job when they hired – Jay Ladner, their new head coach. Mark Adams. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes. Mar- Mark Jay Adams Ladner was an alum that pushed him over the top. They had the kid. He, he, he was the Southeast Louisiana guy, right? Yeah, they had the point guard. Who was the point guard of Southeast Louisiana? It was pretty good. 
I remember former Providence Friar Dre Evans was once upon a time a point guard for Southeast. They had a kid that like got them into the top of the league, and I remember being like, "That hire sucks. Like, why? Why are you? Why are you hiring? You know, like the third best coach in the Southland." But, uh, let's see. It was like 19. Yeah, Jay Ladner. Oh, Marlene Veal. It's like five foot yes. nine. He's explosive, off the bounce. Yeah. But they had Marlene Veal and they had Ty Brewer, and uh, Keon Clearjo from Memphis. Now they do, yes. Yeah, their backcourt right now is is Keon Clergio from UMass, uh, and and Joe Kasperzik, if you remember from Bryant, first yes. year of the Grasso era, and he got kicked out of school for I think like an armed robbery or something, something bad. It was like an actually bad crime that like got him booted. So. Yeah. Anyway, that, that, that's enough for the Southeast Louisiana slash Southern Miss uh, tangent for the podcast. But the actually, one more is, thing. Go on. Oh, jeez. Antonio Gordon, former starting power forward for that's Kansas State, averaging six points a game <laughs> for Southeast Louisiana. I think that speaks quite well to the uh, lack of talent at Kansas State last season. Absolutely. Um, where else do we need to get? On this podcast, are there teams that we have not mentioned that need to get mentioned? Oh, oh Oregon. Oregon. Oh, Oregon. The the, yes. the two two of the biggest wins you can get to vault yourself back into tournament contention. They, I got, mean, they did get fortunate. Both teams not playing with fans at the moment, so they basically oh, got asterisk. Oh, here Big we go. Asterisk. Yeah. Here it comes. Here it comes, Oregon fans. No, but. Right, so the reason why everyone was saying, oh, Pac-12's only going to get three bids, only get three bids, is that the path for a fourth team to emerge was beating these Titans on the road, and they did it, right? They beat UCLA, and they beat USC. Um, Stanford also beat USC, and then laid an absolute egg against Washington, um, which Jared kind of right at the universe. But Oregon has the talent. They're, they're getting the guys back. Dante's back. They have great guard play. Um, and I, I think this is relatively for real. I think that they can, you know, they already have the two signature wins now. I think they can keep their head above, above water against the middle of the pack and the Pac-12 right. to uh, get get the fourth bid for the conference. Right. And again, I, the, the thing is with Oregon is they only have one quote-unquote damaging loss. It's Arizona State. Home Arizona State. Which Creighton also has. Right, yeah, like BYU is not that it's not a bad loss, and St. Mary's neutral not a bad loss. It was more about like how they were playing than it was the fact that they were losing these games. And so, you know, I think they'll be okay. I mean, they played five straight games. They played very well in. They they went on overtime at UCLA. They beat you. We'll see if the USC win where its value sits in a month. I, I'm not sure the USC is going to stick there, but like I, I think they're in the field as of today. Like I have them in. Absolutely, so, especially when like some of the teams in, are, are in, as we were saying, TCU, Minnesota. There uh, are a lot of so, cases, Some people have right? UAB, Not some people have Murray. Right. Mur- Murray is an at-large. Wyoming is an at-large. Um, Boise State. Grand Canyon. Yeah. Well, Boise State right now is my uh, auto bid. And then, but I do have three. I have three at-larges from the Mountain West. I have four bids from the PAC, four, four bids from the Mountain West, and four from the WCC. I've... But I prefer I prefer like, like the Wyoming resume over like a Creighton because I'm doing it from a perspective of like it's today, right? Like theoretically, 
Creighton is going to pass Wyoming because their resume is going to get better. Wyoming's resume is probably not going to get substantially better. Right. But like for now, you know, I have like AM in the field right now because like, you know, they're 15 and two. They would get in today if you were doing a field. But like, are they going to be this? No, you know. You know, uh, I I think it was Lucas and John Warner had Boise State first team out, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they have great, great metrics. Same with, I mean, Fresno State's like top 40 in T rank. Fresno State's with, very good. With Orlando Robinson. I don't know what they're doing up there, but. Well, Orlando Robinson's uh, top five in Ken Palm Player of the Year. I mean, he, he was a great recruit at the time. You know, he had chose Fresno State overall. All high majors. He, he's, he was G League G League camp last year, is right? Yeah. I mean, I will, I will, I will, I will say this: San Francisco's resume, and I know you know there's gonna be a lot of conversation about them. They have a lot of head-to-head wins over some of the very good mid majors that are in the mix. Davidson. Davidson, and that's technically a neutral court game, I believe. Yes. To play at the Chase Center in San San Francisco. Um. The Nevada one maybe doesn't age well, but they have UAB on a neutral. That's going to be nice. They have a home win over Fresno. That'll be nice. Like That's their resume. Their resume isn't Arizona State on the road. It's those three games. And they'll have theoretically, like again, they're probably going to have to beat BYU and St. Mary's once each to be there. And then hold serve against Loyola Marymount and San Diego and yada yada. But. And, you know, in regards to Murray, as as we said about Iona and, and a few other teams last week, congratulations. You just need to win 18 more straight, and you can lose the 19th one. Best of luck to you. I mean, a nice pat on the back. <laughs> so, so Murray's an interesting case. They're 31 on the net right now. Minefield so City. They can lose to Belmont, but other than that, I don't Right, know. that's the problem. Is it's Minefield I mean... The thing is, though, they just beat Belmont by 22 on the road. Yep. And their only loss right now is a new, other than Auburn, is a neutral ETSU. Like, they have a road win at Memphis, who's a potential bubble team. They have a sneaky top 50 win right now over Chattanooga. You know, like, I'm I'm drinking the Murray State at large Kool Aid right now. I have to yeah, see. Murray, the, I don't know. Like, I, it, right? Like the question is like, can yeah. Belmont? Like Belmont, who, whose resume do you like more? Belmont, who's like worse in the metrics and just got blown to shreds by Murray, or you know, but they're still good in the metrics and they have four Q1 plus Q2s right now. They have a road win at St. Louis. They have the neutral win over Iona. They have the neutral win over Drake. They have um, also the home win over Chattanooga, which is a top. Uh, it's a Q2 game, and then their only losses are Q1 and Q2. Road Ohio. Road LSU, neutral Dayton, and then Murray State. So, like, their resume is clean still. My problem is, like, I have, and again, LSU's better than we thought, but, like, I have a hard time with, like, maybe your two biggest games of the year, if you're Belmont, you've lost by a combined 52 points. I like Casey Alexander. I think their team is talented. I like Musinski. To me, like, these just aren't, like, at-large teams, but, like, their resumes right now, and again, that's the challenge of Brett College. Right now, the gap between quadrant one wins is not one. Right. When all of a sudden the bubble teams have six, you know, have have six or seven or eight Q1 plus Q2, it just gets hard. It really does. And you, you, you mentioned Memphis and 
in context of Murray's win. I yeah, mean, one of the all-time saddest court storms. ECU <laughs> storms the court over uh, a Memphis team that's not ranked. They're not at the top of the league. They're, I mean, they have, they have a lot of cool recruits. They have a cool head coach. They were very high in the preseason polls. What, what a disaster for Memphis, though. What a disaster. 1% okay. win probability. At one point for Eastern Carolina, East Carolina, they lose that game. Right, Memphis was turning the corner. Right, like when we recorded last week, I don't remember if we talked about Memphis, but I was ready to kind of be like, okay, maybe Memphis is figuring it out. You know, they're 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 starting to do things offensively. You know, Minot's been playing more minutes. He's been very good. I'm desperate to sell my Houston stock, but there's no one that will take it because. I mean, Memphis lose to East Carolina. Central Florida got their doors blown off by South Florida, 24 points on the road. What a SMU, I mean, Houston is just going to walk into this league. I mean, they could lose the, the rest of their backcourt. I mean, who else is going to who else is going to knock Wichita them off? Wichita State 0-4 in the league with three home losses. Cincinnati is the best hope, right? And I watched Cincinnati get demolished for Xavier. Just yep. wasn't even it, – it, it, it was like a bye game. It was it was incredible. Yep. Now, Houston's going to win the league by default. Memphis – is Memphis on a better bus at this point? Like, I'm seeing way too many Bracktologists where, like, Memphis is still close. Like, what has Memphis done? I mean, they've lost to Tulane. They've lost to East Carolina. The well, Alabama one is not aging. Apparently, but, you know. I mean, like, they beat St. Louis. I mean, who cares? But like, right now, Memphis's resume. Hold on, just we have it here. So, so they're 63 in the net. Okay, great. They have two Q3 losses. They have two Q1 wins. They're overall though, they're five and five against Q1 plus Q2. And they have the Q2, two Q3 losses. I mean, I guess maybe it's just like, oh, they have a lot of Q2 wins. But like, who cares? They stink. And, like, also, like, at some point, they're going to fall out, right? Like, even if they are, like, right around the field, they're like, are they going on a run here, right? Like, they might win their next two and then lose at home to UCF on February 5th. No, it's just that kind of year. They just got – they're going to have to pick off Houston at least once. And They need Houston. I mean, Houston played a tight game against Tulsa. They, they were tested by South Florida. I don't know, man. Road Tulsa is never an easy win. Just putting it out there. Is uh, Frank Haith on the hot seat? Um, they gave him like a weird extension this past offseason, and like the wording of it was surprising to me because I thought Frank Haith was safer than he was. Apparently, I would guess yes. They, they like win a lot of conference games. They're they're yeah. kind of similar to South Carolina, but like a little more off the radar than South. Right, and a worse job. Worse job. Absolutely worst job, yeah. Worst job. I mean, I, I don't even know who's in the American moving forward. Be tough to fire Frank Haith right now, I tell you that. Right, and I, I mean... Never once... We were saying, Maryland's behind Louisville in line. Uh, there are, there are 30, 30 programs that are ahead of Tulsa in line, so... Yeah. They, 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 they could go... Get Kim English. Kim English fresh off his loss to George Washington today. 
<laughs> he already needs a parachute. <laughs> I love Kim English, but that was a tough one, my friend. Well, like that's 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 kind of part of my thing about not hiring assistants is like so so Cooley got us 300 win last game, which was like 1500 years ago at this point, uh, and and he was saying like oh when I started at Fairfield I I felt like I had no idea what I was doing I felt like I was gonna get fired after the first game, and it's like okay that's one thing doing that at Fairfield, but to like throw guys in the fire like fresh off being an assistant, like your first job and it's at Minnesota or even like at George Mason. It seems like you're, you're, you're letting somebody find their learning curve on your dime, you know? Yeah. Where else do we need to get on this podcast? Probably if, if there's anything else, um, Chris Murray had a good game. That was that was kind of weird. Chris Murray's good. Chris Murray's gonna be next year's Keegan Murray for Iowa. They just keep pretty. Yeah, because I mean, he, he I don't even know if he played last year, right? Yeah. He and, he, and, he he redshirted, I believe. Well, everyone redshirted, but. Uh, yeah. No, I don't, I don't think he met, entered the game. But but that's that's for me is is a sign of of a healthy program is when the guy comes from literally doing nothing, whether he's the 11th, 12th, 13th man or actually redshirt, and they come in the next year and they're starting to, to add positive value. And Iowa has a bunch of guys like that. I mean, Aaron like, Uless, Tony Perkins, Murray. We'll we'll see if it sticks, right? Because like, you know they've they've got a, obviously the Big Ten gauntlet coming, but. Iowa being clear, like a top 20 Ken Palm team, being an NCAA tournament team this year, feels like a, a really good win for Fran, right? Like, absolutely. I don't understand like where the Fran hatred is. Like, again, maybe it's he's like an angry white guy, and maybe maybe he does, you know, not quite live up to his talent. Maybe like, you know, maybe you know, but at some point, like, he he's producing pros, he's winning games. He's doing it in Iowa. You know, next year Chris Murray's gonna be be the guy, right? Maybe, maybe he's not gonna average twenty five like Keegan is, but like, you know, he's good, obviously. Even some of these guys, you know, like a like a Tony Perkins have developed. You know, they, they can score. They, they do a good job with the role players. You know, Toussaint and McCaffrey brothers are decent role players. They like Peyton Sanford. They think he's gonna be a good player. Like, you know, like. They're in the tournament every year. Like their their worst run under Fran was an NIT team in 2017 with Peter Jock, and then the next year they were bad when they graduated Jock, and they were all sophomores and freshmen. And then those sophomores and freshmen proceeded to take them to two NCAA tournaments. And so like what I, do you want? I know the the knock on Fran is that his teams fade down the stretch. I guess we'll see if this one fades. Right, fade um, down the stretch, whatever. But like, again. Maybe that's but like what's the, what's what are you getting at Iowa that's better than this? Exactly. I mean that's that's the conversation or, or that's that's the point I'm making with ninety percent of these schools, right? I just think it's I more mean, obvious like, in Iowa than it is with Laval that. Jordan. It, you know he's he's in a bad spot, but it's it's kind of like he's he's won tournament games with you, right? I mean, okay. But the the thing I will say with Laval, and I I don't I don't think you're gonna fire this year. 
Name a all-conference player or or close to all-conference player that he's recruited in five years there. So he did not recruit Kamar Baldwin, right? Not Kamar Baldwin, not Sean McDermott, not Keelan Martin, obviously, not Tyler Weidman, obviously. Like the like like his quote unquote recruiting wins are Jordan Tucker out of the portal, uh, Aaron Thompson, Bryce Enzi mm. out of the portal, Bryce Golden, uh, honestly, Khalif Battle has become like a good player, so. You know that that would that could have been a potential win, but they lost him too early. Um, you know, the kids this year: Jaden Taylor, Jair Bolden, Chuck Harris. Like, is Chuck Harris the senior a third team All Big Ten or Big East guy? Probably. Yeah, I think they haven't gotten a kid. I had I had texted you this, but right, I I think next year if you go grad transfer or transfer point guard. You have Harris, Taylor, a transfer four-man, and Golden with Lacocious off the bench and Hughes off the bench. I, I, I think that could be be a bubble team with the right point guard and power forward. Right, but, like, are you going to do that much better than Aaron Thompson and Bryce Enzi in the portal? Yeah, better hope so. But you have to do better than Aaron Thompson. I mean, come on. Aaron. This is, doing this for five years, this is Aaron Thompson conversation. <laughs> No, I, I get that. I get that. But like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, like, so first off, we know like we know they've recruited poorly, right? Like, so so we. Have and then all all in. the transfer point guards this year have sucked. I mean, right. Jared West and Marion Jackson and you know. Jalen Tick has been like the only good one. Al Durham. Al Durham. Yeah, 36% from the field. Al Durham. Uh, shoot seven free throws a game at 82%. Yeah. But but recruiting like an Al Durham type of Butler would be the move, right? Like Tom gets the ball. Like with yeah. productive player to high major, like you know, like like if Northwestern fired Chris Collins, like telling Boo Booey, like you can do whatever the hell you want, would be a good move for Butler. Yeah. You know, again, it's just like a off the off the off the cuff example. But like, but again, I mean, that's the that's the crux of the issue of Butler, right? Like, you know, Fran is recruiting players, you're producing pros, you get in the NCAA tournament. Laval, Laval Jordan had, you know a good first year that was probably a little bit underwhelming coming off of sweet 16 with Keelan Martin still on the roster with Paul Jorgensen still on the roster with Tyler Weidman with Kamar Baldwin, you know, he had a bad year two, good year three, but that was senior Kamar Baldwin with some of the transfers that they brought in senior Sean McDermott. And now bad year last year, 120 in Capcom this year, 124. I'm the thing, the saving grace for, for, for Laval so far, he wins all the games he's supposed to win. Yeah. They haven't lost. I don't think they've lost. They lost one by game last year to Southern Illinois. But he has not had like the like holy shit loss, you know, like the, the embarrassment. They may be losing by 40 to Villanova is the embarrassment. But like, I think that the concerning thing with them is like, yeah, they're winning the games supposed to win. But I tweeted this. They're, they've played six top 30 Ken Palm teams. They're 0-6 in those games. Their average margin of defeat is 23 points. They haven't played a single one within 15. For 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 the standard at Butler? Yeah. yeah. And again, if your hire is Micah Shrewsbury or your hire is Ronald Norred, is it guaranteed any better? No. But, like, is it concerning that this is where Butler is? And I, I tweeted this. Like Dave... They have some financial things. Like I know um 
the three-man weave, like, finances thing they did at the beginning of the pandemic. Butler has the lowest budget in the Big East by, like, a significant margin. Um, they're the second lowest budget in the high major world, only behind Washington State. So, yeah, like, there's like there's some things that need to get fixed there. Like, that's not acting like, just because Butler, it's Butler, they're going to win. But, like, I do get the questions with Laval, mostly in the recruiting. Like, I I, I thought watch, it was fun to watch him up close and personal coach. Uh, in Vegas because he's just like such a teacher you know he he is an educator on the floor I think that was fun to watch but like at some point you need players and, and this Butler team I texted I was texting a coach about this Butler looks like a team I would want at George Washington yeah you know well you know kind of with, with, with the comparison to Iowa I mean Butler may have recruited better than Iowa, but Iowa's taken these three stars and really turning right. them into they into developed crazy. players or they found under the radar kids, right? And Butler's right. not like, like Keegan Murray was, was a nothing recruit. Garza, I think, was like top 150. If if yeah. if you look at this Iowa roster right now, I believe the only top 100 recruit was Patrick McCaffrey, the coach's son. Yeah. Um, and you know, they you know I. I certainly did not expect Iowa to be a tournament team this year, given this roster. And, you know, they're definitely losing Keegan Murray. He, he's he's going to be a top 10 pick at this point. Um, and, you know, NBA early entry catches up to us all. So, you know, no no one's immune to NBA NBA early entry. So we'll see how Iowa can, can recover from that. But after what Garza did last year and, and Wieskamp and what Murray's doing this year, they should have an easy sell for recruiting, whether it be transfers or high schoolers, for scoring bigs, athletic wings, and shooters. Well, also literally any kid who's a three-star. Yeah. <laughs> or like, hey, they you know, target, yeah. Like, like if they decide they like a kid, they should get that kid, unless they're like a super highly rated kid. That's a good point. Anything else on this podcast? I feel like we've covered a lot, and not a lot of it has been actually like what happened in the past week. But that's okay. No, no, no. We talked about a ton of. We games. got what we need to get done. We got what we need to get. I can't uh, even remember. Providence the, on the COVID games from last week. Providence on COVID. Yeah, I, no one seems to know who the players are on, on COVID. Or at least no one wants to talk about it. Uh, to me, that would be the most interesting thing to know is who's going to be playing on Thursday in our must-win game against Georgetown. Um, who, who's been practicing? Who's not been practicing? I mean, that that that's something that really interests me. Does not seem to be interesting anybody else, which is baffling to me. But well, as long as we have Al Durham and Justin Manaya, I think think we're okay. Because no one else can create like Durham. No one else can defend the wing like Manaya. But well, and you need one of Crosswell and Nate Watson. I assume. Yes. All right, well, we'll wrap that up. North, uh, I mentioned Sienna's big comeback of America. So that was huge. Uh, Providence on pause, Northwestern on life support. We'll see if, how they handle Johnny Davis and Wisconsin tomorrow. Appreciate you listening, folks.